0: This fresh coat of the startup life has been sprayed on nice and smooth by Wagner and the Flexel series of paint sprayers. Startup Nation, my wife decided she wanted to rehab her childhood home. The goal was to fix it up and invite a nice family to rent it out. We knew one of the biggest jobs we had to undertake was painting, however, from the walls, the cabinets, and even the siding outside, it was gonna be a big task. As entrepreneurs with a company to run, we knew this was gonna take up a lot of our time, which is why we decided to get a paint sprayer. And after much research, we decided to go with the sprayer from the Flexio series from Wagner. Startup Nation, these sprayers are top notch because of its flexibility to paint or stain walls, furniture, cabinets, and more. It's 10 times faster than using a paintbrush which was a big selling point for us. And you can paint or stain right from the can. It's also easy to clean in five minutes and being great for indoor and outdoor projects, a paint sprayer from the Flexio series clearly needs to be part of the arsenal in your garage. So if you're ready to stain your deck or like me, fill your daughter's request of a bubblegum pink room, up your game with a paint sprayer from the Flexio series by Wagner. Take it from me, your time will thank you.
1: It's time to be about that life. The Startup Life. Here's your host, Dominic Lawson.
0: All right, Startup Nation. I hope you're ready to receive some value today. My name is Dominic Lawson, and this is The Startup Life, the show for entrepreneurs and career-minded professionals. You know, Startup Nation, we're hearing a lot uh, of this phrase or this term or whatever you want to call it, of servant leadership but what does that look like what does that sound like well we have a fantastic guest here for you on the show today he is the leadership coach omar l harris and he is the author of the servant leaders manifesto omar how's it going brother
1: very happy to be here thanks a lot for having me no
0: worries no worries Uh, amen so before we kind of hop into what you do in the book and everything just kind of share your origin story if you don't mind good sir yes
1: i was uh i'm a guy from Pittsburgh who. Whose uh, parents, my mother uh, uh, was a social worker for much of my life, and then she turned into an early childhood educator. My father uh, was a chemical engineer, turned environmental engineer later on in his career. And I moved around the US a bunch um, in my youth from, from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to Charleston, West Virginia, and went to junior high high school in Lake Charles, Louisiana. Uh, I went to school at Florida AM University in Tallahassee,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and uh, from there got my MBA. And I joined, I I matriculated into the pharmaceutical industry where I spent the the past 20 years working in the U.S., uh, Southeast Asia, Middle East, and Latin America um, extensively. And over that time period, I also was able to uh, invest in my passion of writing. And so I published four books to date, one fiction novel and three nonfiction books, uh, of which the Servant Leaders Manifesto is the most recent of those books. Mm -hmm. And... um, uh, really, I, I my whole my as I've gone through my journey, I've really realized the importance more and more the importance of of changing the status quo of leadership and being a people oriented leader and someone who gets the most out of people so they can have their most uh, live their best lives when it comes to work because we spend over a third of our lives at work and it shouldn't be such a drag.
0: Got you, got you. Thank you for sharing that. You know, talk about your your love of writing a little bit. You know, you, you talked about writing three nonfiction books and a fiction book. Kind of talk about that a little bit. Where that comes from, man?
1: Yeah, I think um, I just had the natural talent, and my my parents really invested in that when I was younger and, and really encouraged. I used to read. You know, I, I uh, read a lot as a kid. Um, I think I read The Hobbit when I was four or five years old. Mm-hmm. And um, really, always always read copiously, and that that love of writing turned into a love of language, which turned into a love of of writing. So I think it was a natural progression for me from reading to to language to writing. And um, I took a creative writing class while I was in college, and that really sparked my my desire to write this fiction novel, One Blood, which I published in 2011. Mm-hmm. And and then from there, you know, been off to the races.
0: Got you. Got you. Thank you for sharing that. Also, kind of talk about your experience uh at HBCU. I I know a lot of uh people who are thinking about making those uh college choices here uh coming up pretty soon and they're trying to figure out if they want to go uh, you know, to a HBCU or to uh, uh another college. Kind of talk about your experience at FAMU a little bit if you don't mind.
1: Oh, FAMU was amazing. You know, I I spent the majority of my upbringing was, uh, was it mostly in, in predominantly white schools Gotcha. and getting the opportunity to go to college at a formative age, you know, 18 to 25 spend that time at an HBCU is really where you begin to hone your identity, right? Right. Get in c- touch with your culture and really understand, you know, really embrace your blackness, I guess is what I would say. For sure. And, and really, and really, and really understand that, that, that is, it is a beautiful thing to be who we are and, and 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 that we have uh, extreme value to offer to the world um, should we take it seriously and really try to maximize our potential. So I think that my time at Florida A&M just really built me up, built up my confidence so that I could deal with the corporate world when I got into it later on.
0: I hear that. Thank you uh, for sharing that. Uh, So I want to ask you this. Let's just kind of hop into the book, man. The Servant Leaders Manifesto and Startup Nation. If you want to purchase that book, we have a link there in the show notes for easy access. If you're listening to the replay on the podcast, man, what kind of prompted you writing this book, man? You talked earlier about like, you know, redefining or or people having a, a not the, maybe not the proper mi- conception or a misconception about leadership. Kind of talk about the uh, what prompted you writing this one
1: well i mean i've been i've been an, an advocate for for higher employee engagement since i became a manager myself back in 2006 right and i really wanted to be a different kind of leader for my people and i wanted to be someone who was inspiring someone who uh who helped develop the strengths of my my teammates and 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 drove them in that way and i think on my journey um you know what i realized is that you know I could see the difference between my leadership style and the leadership styles of my peers and those around me, even senior leaders. And I I began to rub up against this, this conflict,
2: Mm. which
1: was, you know, um, the how of achieving results. So, you know, what I was seeing was that a lot of, in a lot of companies, it's about ego driven, me, me, me boss type leadership. And I began seeing this whole movement towards everybody wants to be a boss
2: and (laughs) actually,
1: the, the, the boss archetype is the least way to engage people and so I, I ran away from the boss archetype I ran. Out, I said I don't want to be called a boss I don't want to be anyone boss I want to be someone who serves and supports my people and helps get the most out of them and so I began applying what I would learned from reading you know all the literature books that everybody reads you know John C. Maxwell and Pat Lencioni and all these, all these, uh, you know, well-known uh, leadership gurus, right? And that turned into my first book, uh, "Leaderboard the DNA of high performance Team, because I saw that it was a gigantic gap between the theories that they were talking about in their books and practical application in the day-to-day. When the book came out, one of the things that the the audience in the book um, that was uh, digesting the book was saying to me was, "We'll talk more about servant leadership because that's the key to 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 creating high-performance teams in the way that I described in." In leaderboard is this this mindset and this and these behaviors of a servant leader. So I realized that I had to go back in and and really make a strong argument for servant leadership, especially for young leaders coming up today, that this is the best way to engage what I'm calling the most diverse workforce in history. I mean, right Right. now in 2020, for the first time in history, you have four generations working together, you know, zoomers and boomers, right? Mm -hmm. Working in the same same companies. You have Different ethnicities, different races, different nationalities, different sexual orientations for the first time ever. And no one's being taught how to manage and lead that type of diversity. Right. It's not just enough to have diversity in a company yet to know how to get the most out of it. And certain sure. leadership principles will allow anyone to be able to tap into that diversity and truly extract the benefit of difference that you get when you, when you have these diverse teams.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. No, you're absolutely right. We're definitely in, uh, you know, I, I, I believe if I'm not mistaken, you know, you, like you said, I believe that's what you said. I'm sorry. Uh, uh is one of the times in history that's never happened before. You had so many people in, uh, you know, um, in the workforce was, you know, so diverse from boomers to zoomers, like you said, you know, kind of exactly. talk. Yeah, for exactly. sure. I want to ask you this, you know, kind of talk about, you know, because in your book, you talk about the three, kind of these three eras of, you know, leadership, where you talk about like civil war and World war, then up until World War One, World War Two. kind of talk about mm-hmm. that a little bit. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it, it occurred to me, um, as I was writing the book, that one of the issues that we're facing is the fact that the demographic of the workforce has dramatically changed. The way work is done has dramatically changed, but the principles of leadership have not have not kept up with the times. Mm. So, for example, if you go back to post you know Civil War Industrial Revolution um, in those times, you're thinking about men, mostly men, almost all all white men who were are migrating from the farms to the cities, right? Doing specialized work in assembly line processes, and in that particular uh, environment, the top-down hierarchy, that kind of supervision, um, uh, a, a, a setup in the company based on a military hierarchy makes sense. So that was because that was what the, the men knew, and that's what the leaders knew. Because most people had had some some level between the Civil War and uh, World War One had some level of military experience. So they're right. just using the lowest common denominator to connect with the workforce, and that and that was really something people could identify with. But as you move forward throughout time, you got to a place where um, collaboration began to become more important. Like when you look at the John F. Kennedy space race, right? right? You couldn't command and control your way to the moon. You had to learn how to collaborate, use technology, and, and um, get the most out of people, to, out of groups of people to, to, to achieve that, that, that particular goal. So the, the type of leadership began to began to shift Um, as technology and collaboration became became more prevalent. And then we moved into the technological technological era where um, the individual brilliance was replaced by group brilliance, the need for more collaboration, need for better use of technology. And it was at this point that leadership really stalled out. Um, um, And where leaders were still still utilizing uh, techniques that were popular in the 50s and 60s, and it didn't really evolve to what everyone, every thought leader has been talking about for the last 30 years, which is positive psychology versus weakness fixing and uh, teams versus individual brilliance. And, you know, these things are, and, and, and humble leadership versus toxic leadership. These are not new ideas that I came up with. These are things that have been, spouted since the early 90s but but for some reason corporate leadership has not caught on simply because of this move towards the boss archetype mm. so people want to be the boss because they want to be in control they want to be in charge they want the accolades to come to themselves and the more that we see that boss archetype the more we see people disengaging with their lives that would work gotcha so the boss is opposite of engagement and so now we're in what I call leadership 3.0, which is where we really have to eradicate the ego from leadership. We have to get rid of the boss title altogether and focus on leaders who truly are invested in serving, supporting and developing their people all in service of achieving the overall mission of the organization.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Thank you uh, for sharing. that. Now I, I definitely agree with you as far as like that whole boss archetype L- let me ask you this as a follow-up to that you know do you think that came on the heels of like you know uh with like you know people just trying to like boost profits do you think that boss archetype came in in the era of people trying to be influencers and in social media to kind of like you know to have like that ego driven type leadership where do you think that really kind of kind of i guess blossom? if you don't mind
1: I think it started in the '90s when when you, we saw two kind of trends. You saw the birth of reality TV, so basically, gotcha. regular people becoming stars, right? And, <laughs> right. Um, and then you also had then you, then you also had the first uh, internet startups, basically. So regular people building billion-dollar companies out of their garage, right? So from the '80s and '90s, so you saw these, you know, these type these two phenomena, which were which were both. Um, triggered by an advance in technology, access to cable television, things of that nature. Those two things made it much more uh, ideal to look out for yourself, mm. as opposed to be a great leader and manager for others. Those two trends—you know—the technology, the ability for anyone to create a company that could achieve um, large valuations, and and without having had any previous leadership experience or any bona fides and no corporate experience to really train and learn how to do this correctly and, and uh, the, the 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 birth of of instant celebrity which happened in the early 90s right. which only has gotten worse since we got we went from reality tv now to to youtube superstars and instagram uh right. superstars right so i think that uh, or tiktok stars now we have tiktok stars so so i think that that, that evolution happened over the last 30 years in media and in, in public life and then in management. You saw people, everyone jealous of these, these startup people who were basically becoming millionaires and billionaires in, in less time than ever before. Meanwhile, you're working in a corporation, you're like, well, I got to get mine, right? They're getting theirs, I got to get mine. Got you.
0: Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. And, and you know, you're right though. Now that I think about it, you know, I mean not the don't get me wrong, you've you had the Lee Iacoccas and the Jack Welches, and people have already have always said that like, you know, they are like, you know, the the standard in building a business. But you know, you when you think about to the the Steve Jobs and the and the uh the uh, the Zuckerbergs and the and the Bezos of the world, we really have gotten to a point where we definitely put those entrepreneurs uh and, and the you know and we look at them and we idolize them as like they're rock stars. You know, and, and I'm not saying that, you know, Lee Iacocca and, and, and Jack Welch wasn't like considered like, you know, brilliant and, and, and stuff in their time, but I don't think we treated them like rock stars. You know what I mean?
1: No, no, you were being a CEO was not a, was not a sexy job. Exactly. It it's not a sexy job. It's not a sexy job today, but you get a lot of sign from it. So I think that
2: exactly. I
1: think that it's much more it's much more uh, attractive to be an entrepreneur, a successful entrepreneur, right. r- rather than than to you know it became uncool to work for a company. Right, right. It became cool to do your own thing, and that's why we see all these hyphenated people today. You know, writers slash actors slash designers <laughs> slash <laughs> you get right. all the slashes, slash right. gamers slash stylists. Slash. So we're in we're in this slash generation where everybody's trying to do everything versus really uh, investing and focusing on what they're truly brilliant at. Um, and just trying, and trying and a million different ways to to be famous right. and to be known. Versus, uh, you know, what one of my mentors told me is you create meaning, and then you create you'll get money if you create meaning. Mm. So focus on creating meaning, right? And the money will follow you. Don't sure. don't focus on trying to create money because it, it it will be that's temporary.
0: Gotcha. No, I definitely understand that. Like you know, we we try to preach on this show a lot of times that like the the money is the byproduct of the ultimate goal of like whether it be serving your client base or leading your team or something like that. So, or meaning, as you would say. So, I definitely appreciate that, Omar, for sure. Once, no, for sure, for sure. We do a quick reset here. Once again, startup nation. We're talking to Omar, Omar L. Harris, you know, author, leader, leadership coach. Uh, as well, and also the author of The Servant's Leader Manifesto. We have a link there in the show notes for easy access if you're listening to the replay on the podcast. And also, if you want to check out uh, more about Omar and what he's doing and all the other resources he has, go to OmarLHarris.com. We have that link there in the show notes as well. So I wanted to ask you this. You have a quote in the book that says, quote, one of the defining traits of a servant leader at any organizational level level is a clearly defined motive behind work to which they commit themselves and their teams and quote kind of dive into that a little bit kind of share some more commentary about that quote and and what you mean by that
1: right well the 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 most powerful uh tool in the arsenal of serving leadership is purpose mm-hmm. gotcha when you can define a purpose that connects everyone together and it's bigger than just sales and profits and numbers It's something that everybody can kind of tap into and everyone really believes. That's when you begin to create that high-level collaboration necessary to innovate and to drive higher-level results in businesses. So, And and the key thing is not only the, the vision and the purpose, but the belief behind it. Mm-hmm. A lot of companies have these beautiful million-dollar vision statements, but they don't believe in them. Right. And because they don't really believe in them, there, there's a disconnect between what the CEO says and what's done on the ground. Wells Fargo is a great example of that. I mean, they have a beautiful mission statement, but we saw what happened to them over $2 billion in fines. Big 2017 um, because the actual executive level branch of the company didn't believe in those words um, that they had put on the put on the in all the company documents of nature so i think that it's not enough just to have the purpose you have to put the belief behind it and then put the energy into it and as beliefs shift you have to shift your purpose because there's nothing worse than having a, a beautiful purpose that disconnected from the belief set of the employees that are working to, uh, put to put that in practice, right? So you have to. Right. It's the it's the hard work of a leader to keep everyone aligned to the overarching purpose. Especially now, when you think about crises like the pandemic and, of course. and things of this nature, when people are becoming more separated, you know, the glue is not going to be how nice of a leader you are. The glue is going to be, all right, guys, let's keep our keep the eye on the prize. What is our purpose here? What are we trying to accomplish? Right. Right. Um, a, good, a good example of that is the NBA teams going in the bubble
2: mm. and
1: the Lakers had the most mental toughness. They were able to keep their eye on the pride. They didn't lose focus over three months in that bubble. Right. They were the most mentally tough organization, which is why they left with the championship. Right. Um, in addition to having great talent. But right. they had to have the right mental fortitude uh, to survive that really tough environment and they kept their, their, their mind and their eyes on the prize. And that's what several leaders are really great at doing is, is to find in that purpose that, that, that keeps people unified and, and, and aligned and driving forward.
0: Gotcha. You know, and that's a great example because we see, you know, not whether it be sports or even uh, in, in business teams, you're like you have a, an amazing wealth of talent, but that mental fortitude can like really put the kibosh on that whole, you know, kind of plan. So I appreciate you sharing that.
1: If for sure, for sure. I I think it was it was evident. I mean in some of the teams uh that didn't make it didn't do so well in the in that in that same environment. Right. Um and and it was it was really the the the, the divider between excellence and, and average.
0: Right. Right, for sure. Thank you uh for sharing that. You have, Now you have a chapter here, use influence and not authority. And you have a section where you talk about don't be a boss, be a Jedi. I'm curious about what are some of those Jedi traits that kind of uh that work here, if you don't mind, Omar.
1: So so what I meant by that mm-hmm. is really um when you think about how, you know, what leadership actually is. Leadership is hopefully influencing positive outcomes, right? And There's two ways to influence. You can direct, so I can tell you what to do, uh, and I can monitor you and micromanage you, or I can make you believe that the idea is yours, that you have the capability and capacity to make it happen and empower you to to achieve those goals. So Jedis have the ability to influence whether they have uh, power or title or position or or, or not. They have the, the innate ability just to make strong cases for change, as opposed to not, they don't require the power of a title to get people to line up and right. and, um, and do their best work. I gave an example in the book of when I was living in in uh, Turkey and working for uh, a large uh, pharmaceutical company that had over 100,000 employees working on a global project, and the CEO basically had rejected the proposal to make an investment in a key piece of technology for the organization. Mm-hmm. And I was a you know a veritable peon in that company at the time, right. but. I was able to make a strong enough case and argument, even at my level, that I influenced the CEO to spend thirty-five million dollars on a project, which has transformed that company uh, heretofore. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to have title to have power, and that's really the point that I was making with a uh, be a Jedi, not a not a boss.
0: Right. I, I think that's so important because I, I, so many times we see people who are so infatuated with the title, so they can have you know a bigger salary, a bigger office, and this and the other. Uh, and, and it just reminds me that, like, there are so many leaders out there who are they're leaders in title, but only leaders in title only where they want the accolades, but not necessarily the responsibility that comes with leadership. Because being a leader, I mean, without, you know, without kind of diving and doing it, it's, it's definitely a, uh, a huge responsibility that I don't think everybody kind of take heed to, don't you think?
1: I fully agree. I mean, and Gallup agrees with both of us. Big, Gallup states that 89% of uh, people who were hired in the management are the wrong hires, right? 89%. Wow.
0: That's a 89%. lot, that's a lot, man. That's, that's huge <laughs> <laughs> for sure. For sure. Thank I mean, you. We're, sir.
1: we're, we're fully missing. We're fully missing the mark when it comes to who gets to be managers, who gets to lead others. Um, we're still promoting the best individual contributors and not looking at the broader skill set. Right. Um, you know, it's just like very few NBA players have made great coaches. It's the same idea. Like just because you, Michael Doran is, 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 was the greatest NBA player of all time. Mm-hmm. He's arguably one of the worst owners in the NBA.
0: Right, right. Right. That's true. That's very true. And, and you know, and in that same vein, uh, kind of going back to what you were saying earlier about uh Wells Fargo. I know a lot about that situation because I used to work there during that time. So I know exactly Okay, uh, wow. Yeah, wow. I know exactly okay. what you're talking about. You know, where, you know, I got in trouble many a days where they was trying to get us to do certain things. I was like, well the customer doesn't need that. Like, yeah, it's great for my right. bottom line, but that's not what's best uh for the customer. And I actually end up leaving. Exactly. I actually end up leaving based on that, over that uh
2: That issue,
0: yeah, like I I, I couldn't, I couldn't do that. It's like if we're we're there to service the customer, then this isn't in the best interest of the customer. And so, and the crazy thing is that after all that, you know, after all that, you know, controversy and stuff like that, the manager who, uh, who kind of told me to kind of, you know, push, 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 you know, sales and stuff like that, they end up letting them go for that same thing. So there you go, uh, just kind of crazy. But I will, I will say though,
1: the thing. The thing that disappoints me the most about that case is that the operational leader of the retail banking division of Wells Fargo, she she resigned with a hundred twenty-four million (laughs) dollars golden parachute after being proven to do the wrong things. Right, and that's just so that's the kind of thing. Like you know, we can't keep sending these mixed messages where values are important, compliance is important, and yet you can do all the wrong things, defraud. Millions of customers and still walk away with a gigantic uh, golden parachute as an incentive. So, what, 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 you know, if I'm coming up behind that leader, what does that teach me? Okay, well, I can just, just don't get caught. Or, right. you, or even if I do get caught, I'm still going to get a gigantic paycheck. So, it, it, it's really uh, abhorrent. The whole thing just really, uh, really upset me deeply. That case.
0: All right, Startup Nation. So we're going to go ahead and take a quick break. We got to pay some bills. Once again, my name is Dominic Lawson and you're listening to The Startup Life. Check it out, Startup Nation. I know many of you are trying to improve your marketing performance, right? You have your business or your e-commerce store, and you're trying to increase that brand awareness. No worries. I got you. You should listen to the brand new Keep Optimizing podcast. That's optimizing with an S and not a Z. It's a marketing podcast that will provide you with not only the latest tips and advice in the game, but also you will hear from experts in their field when it comes to email marketing, SEO, and more. This is a must-listen-to podcast for my e-commerce entrepreneurs. It's hosted by Chloe Thomas, who is a 15-year marketing expert, best-selling author, and award-winning podcast host. It's already a top 20 marketing podcast in seven countries, so clearly you're going to get amazing value every episode. So as you can see, Nation, you're in good hands with my girl, C.T., So listen and subscribe to the Keep Optimizing podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere you like to get your favorite podcast. You can also get more information at keepoptimizing.com. The link is there in the show notes. Oralex powers this episode of the startup life startup nation as a podcaster radio host and business owner i know a thing or two about the need for your message to come through clearly to your target audience the last thing you want when trying to close a big deal over the phone or giving a sales presentation in your conference room is to have the person you are talking to be distracted by either the fact that you sound like you're in a warehouse or an outside noise like a fire truck trust me startup nation I know this all too well from experience. And that is why Oral-X has your back. Oral-X Acoustics creates professionally tested products that you can trust in a commercial space or at home. Better office acoustics improves intelligibility when video conferencing or generic conversation reduces stress and helps build a proactive work atmosphere. From a home studio for my content creators to your office space downtown, your gear performs better in an acoustically treated room. Trust me, you are in good hands with Auralex as they are the number one brand in acoustics, providing trusted solutions for over 40 years. Also, you can download the Auralex Acoustic Treatment mobile app in the Apple or Google Play Store to give you specifically designed and instantaneous recommendations for various room types. Go to Auralex.com and use the promo code STARTUP in all caps for 10% off your entire order. The link is there in the show notes if you are listening to the replay on the podcast. So if you are ready to stop sounding like you're having a sales meeting in a sports arena, go with Auralex, professional audio made simple. Tresta powers this episode of The Startup Life. And it's all unlimited. Calling, texting, and all of the powerful call management features like auto attendance, call recording, user groups, and more for just $15 per user per month. With Tresta, there's no contract and you don't need any special hardware, just your smartphone you're already using. Tresta is easy to configure so you can set everything up yourself all online, avoiding all the hassle and high overhead costs of setting up a traditional business phone system, which is important because as entrepreneurs, we are always trying to cut cost and time. They're often a 30-day free trial so you can see if Tresta's virtual phone system is right for you. Communicate smarter and more Officially with Tresta. Start now at Tresta.com forward slash Startup Life. That's T-R-E-S-T-A.com forward slash Startup Life. The link is there in the show notes if you're listening on the podcast. Tresta, business communication simplified. All right, Startup Nation, welcome back as we continue our conversation with today's guest here on The Startup Life. Right, no, that that was, you know, like like I said, like I was there, you know, because I had uh, just started as a as a personal banker there, and, and the thing is, is that like they were just like, you know, you gotta make this quota, and make this quota. Like, yeah, that's fine, I, I get that, but this person doesn't need five savings accounts. It's only just them. Like, why am I giving them the other four? Right. Like right. one, you know, and, and so right. and, and they would they would like honestly, like you know, um really like you know uh make the case for it like no joke like maybe one is for a vacation and maybe this one is for college and then maybe this one is for for rainy days and then maybe this one is for. I was like come on man you're just stretching at this point mm. <laughs> you know right I mean? right right you know exactly. so exactly so, so i i definitely know what you're talking about and, and in that same vein i i want to ask you about this because you talk about there's a section in your book in the chapter uh focus on your team not individual talent and you talk about the section about focusing on uh, powering your team. One of the things that uh, for me that often frustrates me with leadership and, you know, and kind of keeping in the, the same sports vein, you know, I see a lot of times where in the like high school and, and college ranks of like particularly football, right. Where we have coaches that, that coach players up for what they need them to be right now, but not necessarily developing them to get, to the next level and stuff like that. And we see that in business as well. Kind of talk about that a little bit.
1: Yeah, we're very, we're very short term oriented. Right. Unfortunately. Right. And, and we're, and we're short term oriented because we don't understand that this is not a business. is not a winning and losing proposition. Right. It's about perpetuating business. Mm. Right. So, so I give an example in the book that, you know, uh, Ford has been making cards for a hundred years. I mean, 1920, Came up with the Model T. And now in 2020, coming out with, you know, the next version of the e-hybrid, whatever car is coming out for Ford, right? So in those 100 years, if you're reading that, if you're focused on on short-term, imagine trying to focus on satisfying shareholders for 544 quarters Mm. versus trying to build a company that can last for 200 years. Right. Those are two very different uh, endpoints, right? Right. So when you define the right endpoint, everything else will follow from that definition of the right endpoint. So for me, you know, success is always I never got into the short term mentality of, of results. I knew that right, you know, uh, the right people plus right discipline plus right culture will drive results eventually. It may mean, not happen tomorrow but it will eventually drive, uh, drive sustainable. And when the results come, they're going to be more sustainable right. because we've done the hard work versus, you know, I hate the phrase of putting lipstick on a pig and, you know, basically uh, uh, being more political and kind of showing that you're doing a great job when actually the fundamentals of your business are not, are not there. So I think that, I think that's really important for leaders to learn that you, you can fight back. You can't stand back, stand up against these, uh, these targets. And you have a role in kind of saying, listen, being very clear when you disagree on the targets that are being set. Mm. Because a lot of times the targets are coming from people who are very, 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 very far away from the customer. To shareholders who are even further away from the customer. They're not looking at the actual business fundamentals and understanding what's driving uh, their success. And what's driving, and what are the key barriers they have to overcome? The only question to answer business is: what are, where are we at today? Where do we want to be tomorrow? What are the barriers in between here and there? Where do we have to develop our capability to get there? And then aligning everybody behind that and moving forward. And maybe you hit the mark, maybe you missed the mark, but it's, it's bigger than numbers.
0: Right, for sure. I, I definitely understand that. It's definitely bigger than numbers. And I want to go back to something you said about. Uh, michael jordan earlier you talked about how he's a great great basketball player but not necessarily a great owner or or team exec if you will right and and so and i remember and and this honestly can apply to business easily i I call it the jordan complex where it's kind of like i'm not going to say in a sense of like not necessarily like everything came easy to jordan but it's kind of almost seemed kind of like you know OK, I did this. I worked this hard. Why aren't you getting it? Why aren't you whatever? And, and I see that in business where it's like, you know, we're coaching them up and coaching. them up. It's like, why aren't you getting it? I guess I'm asking, like, you know, how as a leader do you coach them up when you're getting frustrated with self because the subordinate or your team member is just not getting it?
1: Well, I think that the, the, the leader must be the most patient, right? You Fair have to enough. meet people where they are, not where you want to not where you want them to be. Right. And everybody's not gonna be where you want them to be. So you have to, you know, you have to do the hard work of understanding where everybody is on their journey for development. Right. And meet them where they are and then walk them forward to where, you know, baby steps are where you want them to get to. Um, you, you don't want to denigrate and kind of, you know, depress people by saying, Let's, you know, you should be here today. Mm when logically or obviously they're not gonna be able to be there today. Like that's the worst thing you could do to 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 someone is to create a goalpost which is impossible for them to achieve, right? Right. Now with the example of sports, I mean I think I think that you have these very highly talented and very capable individuals who work in enterprises. They do work very, very hard and they're very, very talented and very, very smart. But they're only as good as the people around them are as well. And so it's important for you as a leader to let that individual know you're superstar on your team to get them involved in the development of the team as well. It's not only your guy, it's that person's job as well. You know, it's like when Jordan figured out that he had to begin to count on and trust his teammates, mm. you know, and that made all the difference in terms of their, their championship runs. So you can you can use your top talented allies to help develop the team even faster. Uh, I love the scene in the movie Moneyball, I don't know if you've seen Moneyball, but yeah. uh, where uh, I basically, um, uh, David Justice's character, the, the the general manager goes to David Justice's character and says, listen, you know, I, wa- I need your help in teaching up these guys. Mm-hmm. I'm the general manager. I create the culture and the structure, but you playing on the field with these guys. Don't just be a great hitter. Don't just be a, a name and a face on the billboard. Actually invest in these guys. Invest in, these, in, in, in developing this team and being a real leader and he asked him to be a leader the guy steps up. And I think you need, we need to ask, we need to demand more of people than just being brilliant at a role or in a job. We need to demand them to develop as leaders as well, even if they don't have any line of authority. It's really more about them exhibiting leadership behaviors even from an early stage in their
0: career, I hear that. I definitely hear that. Thank you uh, for sharing that once again, Startup Nation. We're talking to Omar Harris, the author of the Servant Leaders uh, Manifesto. Once again, if you want to check out that book, you might want to add this in your entrepreneurial toolkit for sure. Uh, we have a link there in the show notes for easy access if you're listening to the replay on the podcast. Now, I know Omar that you're a leadership coach and stuff like that, and people, you know, bring you in to kind of speak and and do some of that coaching that. That one-on-one at group speaking engagements and stuff like that, when they bring you in, man, like what's that? What, what's those like one to two things they like say, this is what I'm trying to fix, or this is what I would love for you to work on with my team or something like that. Kind of share those, share that with us a little bit.
1: So, so the sweet spot of what I do sweet spot of what I do is really to determine the degree of alignment between that stated purpose, that why of the organization, and what's happening on the ground. Gotcha. So I work. I work with both levels. So I work with the senior leadership to understand kind of their definition of current state, what they're desiring to achieve, and where where they are today, and what is the purpose. And and then I go and confirm that and check that that level of alignment with the lowest level of the organization. So uh, agreement, understanding, and alignment. A lot of times, people don't really understand the purpose statement. They are not aligned with that statement. Um, or they don't agree with that statement,
2: mm. and
1: and how can you do the work if you don't agree, align, or understand what's happening, right? right. And I think that senior leaders take it for granted that like if because i have spoken one time or did the town hall and I put up some pretty slides, that everybody got the message and is all board. Mm. It's 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 a job of constant communication and constant consistency to make that kind of alignment happen. So, really, what I'm being brought in to do is to, to tighten that alignment up. And to either simplify the purpose or mission for the organization or improve the communication or improve the level of how managers interpret and filter that message down to the people of the organization. So I work at different levels to make sure that that happens in, in a company.
0: Got you. Gotcha. Thank you for sharing that. And Star Mation, when you go to Omar Hell Omar dot com and check out that blog, you'll see uh some very interesting blog posts. I'm kind of checking it out here. Uh, you know, we kind of talked about this leadership lessons from, you know, 2020 NBA finals and, you know, uh some of the things that's going on uh when we're talking about, I guess, the 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 election cycle that we're in right now. But you have one where you talk about leadership lessons from your mother, man. Kind of talk about that a little bit. Kinda kind of shine up your mom a little bit if you don't mind.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, this is a topic dear and dear to my heart. My, n- sure. my mother um, passed passed away earlier this year oh, on I'm April seventeenth. Sorry, 17th sorry to hear that. Of uh, of cancer mm. um, at the age of at the age of sixty nine. But she she really was the one who taught me about self sacrifice and about serving others right from an early age. My mother was a uh, as I mentioned earlier was a uh, social worker for much of my life and then an early childhood educator. And in everything she did, my mother was just always so giving. Right? She never asked for anything in return from anybody. She just was somebody who was always a an ear on the phone for a friend or gotcha. a, a piece of advice for uh, a mother or a young woman who who uh, who was who were having difficulty uh, uh, being a single mother in in a in at in a housing project or someone who was helping uh, a a a parents with a kid with developmental challenges gotcha. uh, to get the most out of their child. So my mother was just she gave everything she had her entire life.
2: Mm. And I
1: think that that was something that I took away from, 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 from my mother's you know life is, is the need to life is about giving. It's about improving the lives of the people around you. Like if your life is great, but everyone's life around you is not, then you haven't done your job. Mm.
2: Gotcha.
1: Um, and I think the other key message of my mother is, is just the resilience. My mom had a, had a tragic life in her early part of her life. And, mm. She didn't let her current sort she never allowed her circumstances to define her gotcha. She always kept her eyes on a bigger vision for herself and for her family, and she worked tirelessly to achieve it. so I think that I live with that example, which is it's not about short term results like and it's not about the current situation. you can always improve your conditions you, you you know you 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 can define your life you don't have to be defined by your experiences and I think that that's a really powerful lesson that I, I take from my mother as
0: well. For sure. For sure. Thank you for sharing that. Once again, my condolences uh, to you and your family about your mother, Thank man. I you. appreciate you sharing that uh, for Thank sure. You. Uh, I, I want to ask you this, man, because we, you know, we've been kind of talking sports, so why, why stop now? Um, but, you know, <laughs> when we, when we're talking about the, the pandemic, if you will, right. You know, so a lot of shifting, a lot of transitioning, a lot of, you know, you know, moving and shaking and stuff like that, you know, kind of talk about, or if you don't mind rate, you know, in your opinion, like some of the different uh, uh, sports leagues on how they shifted and how they created, you know, we're able to still kind of create sports in the era of COVID because I imagine that took a lot of leadership acumen had to take a lot of like negotiating a lot of, you know, uh, you know, servant leadership, uh, if you will, so kind of rate those, you know, those plans a little bit, if you don't mind. In your opinion, so
1: course. I think it's a great. I think I, I'll, I'll use two examples. Let's sure. Use NFL versus NBA. Sure. I, think, I think it's the most stark. I think that's one of the biggest sports, and it's, it's 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 what people most people follow, and and, and it's easier to create a contrast between the approaches.
2: Gotcha. So
1: the NBA views their players as the owners. Mm. So the NBA values the player in a different way than any other sports league. So the, the players in the NBA have a have a voice and a platform and power that we've not seen in any other sports league in recent, the last 20, 30 years. Their ability to speak out and the, and be encouraged to be themselves while being superstar athletes, you know, look at what LeBron James has done over the course of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, and no one saw that coming from LeBron James. And the guy from the center of high school to be this Influential on social justice, it's amazing, right? So, right. so, but he, but he had, but he had to have a league that was behind him, a league that had evolved because that same league tried to suppress Allen Iverson for wearing te- having tattoos and wearing hip hop uh, gear, right? Very true. But they evolved. They right. evolved over time. They didn't stay stuck in. They didn't stay stuck in in one in one mode of of opera, uh, operation. They they evolved as the generation of players evolved and as the sport evolved. So I think that. Uh, and when it came time for COVID, Adam Silver, the commissioner of the NBA, first of all, he was the first commissioner in in, the, in sport to shut down the sport, mm-hmm. to recognize that something big was happening, even without all the evidence. So March 11th, he shut down basketball, right? Right. And he was also uh, very thoughtful about how they were going to reopen uh, the sport with uh, 22 teams coming to Orlando in the bubble. Uh, the testing protocols, how the fact that there were in three months there were no positive COVID cases in that bubble right. of seven thousand seven hundred people who were there, no one got COVID. Right in that bubble, that's literally amazing. That's true. Uh, when you think about the the moment that we were in at that time and how he able ever do that, but at the same time, he also leaned into social justice. It wasn't just about recouping money that was lost from advertisers and from ticket sales. It was also amplifying the voices of the players and giving them an opportunity to speak out on social justice issues as well. Because, once again, the NBA sees the players as owners, as partners. Right. And, and it was important to the players, so it was important to Adam Silver. And whether you like it or not, whether you like Team Black Lives Matter on the court or not, whether you like the messages on the back of the jerseys or not, it's inspirational to see a business take on social justice so prominently. We've never seen that before, right? right? So I think that was that was very inspiring. Now, if you go to the NFL, the NFL could have been the first at the social justice part, they could have done this four years ago just by embracing Colin Kaepernick. And right. they just embraced him. If Roger Goodell had embraced that and really um, uh, uh, tried to understand it and validate that 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 protest from the beginning. The NFL would be in a very different place as it relates to social justice. But once again, remember that Roger Goodell works for the owners of the NFL. He did not see the players as partners. Right. So his vantage point is very different. He didn't, he didn't look at Tom Brady as a partner, he looked at Tom Brady as an asset. Right. Right. And so that's the big difference between the NFL and the NBA is the perception of what the role of the players. And when it came time for COVID, it was all about money, it's all about revenue. And so clearly the NFL was not prepared to reopen because you see every single week all these cases and games (laughs) being postponed and rescheduled and all this stuff happening, which can't be good for the sport because, you know, clearly they don't have a good system in place despite having a great example to to learn from with the NBA bubble. And so, so you can see the difference, the stark difference between how you view your employees, do you view them as partners or view them as assets? Or numbers on the spreadsheet, and how you uh, uh, listen to and adhere to best practices. Do you do you say, oh, we're the NFL, we're better than everyone else, we're not going to listen and watch the NBA example, we're going to do our own thing? Well, you're going to get in trouble because you're going to see what happens to your sport when when you don't take good examples and good guidance. I mean, if I were Roger Goodell, I would have been living in Adam Silver's office. Right. you got to be talking to him every day because, you know, the guy clearly had figured something out that was positive.
0: Right. Right. If I'm being honest, man, like I I don't think Roger Goodell should have been the only one living in Adam Silver's office, because it seemed like through this whole thing, it seemed like the NBA has been a leader through all this. Like, honestly, here in America, for me, it's like things the day that the NBA completely shut down, that's when it seemed like everybody is like, oh, this is real. Like this ain't no joke. This ain't, you know, and that's when you started seeing right. municipalities and and state government shutting down and 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 this and the other. And, and then even on that, then the social justice piece. And then after the NBA did the social justice piece, everybody else start kind of falling in line and stuff like that. So it it's like the NBA seem as to me, has seemed not only as a leader in the sports space, but just in society as a whole, about as far as like Working together, as far as like you know uh, being uh, not being fearful to stop, right, because people were probably putting pressure on yeah. them not to stop and stuff like that, so that, that's just my kind of take on it. What do you think
1: i i I agree, and they showed an example of how you can get back to business safely right They' demonstrated a clear example of protocols that every business, if you want to get your employees back in the office, just follow the NBA bubble example. Right. There are protocols they had in place that clearly worked. Seven thousand seven hundred people. I mean, that this is hotel uh, 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 a cleaning staff and room service people and uh, receptionists and you know uh, people working you know film crew and all these different people coming together interacting for three months and not a single case of COVID. Right. I think it's like one of the most uh, globally. I don't think it's happened anywhere. So right. I think I think that there's big lessons to be learned. But um, when you, once again, you focus on ego versus, versus humility, right? I think that Roger Goodell, he lacks humility. The NFL owner lacks humility. And that's why they won't go sit with, uh, with Adam Silver.
0: Right for sure for sure thank you uh for sharing that once again star nation we're actually wrapping up with omar harris the author of the servant leaders manifesto and once again if you want to pick up that book uh we have a link there in the show notes for easy access if you're listening to the replay on the podcast hey omar man what's your entrepreneurial superpower and why man my entrepreneurship say
1: again sorry, your, uh, your entrepreneurial
0: your entrepreneurial superpower what's your entrepreneurial superpower
1: Oh, I think my entrepreneurial superpower is, uh, is vision. So Mm. I think that, um, I'm really good at, 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 at basically making people see something that doesn't exist. Gotcha. So, uh, really coming in and saying, you're rallying people around uh, a vision of what what we want to achieve, what what we want to be, the principles behind what we're trying to do. And getting everyone to work towards that goal is what I think my entrepreneurial superpower is, is being able to, to, and then, and then walk in and talk every step of the way. Gotcha. But I think just the, the ability to help people see it, see the unseen is, is something that, that I, I, I think is, uh, is has been very beneficial for me in my, in my, my journey.
0: I heard that. I heard that. Thank you for sharing that. And you no know, man, before I ask the last question, I just want to say thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing your insight, uh, and value and content, man. I re- really appreciate it. I'm pretty sure Startup Nation appreciates it uh, as well. But now I'm going to turn the microphone over to you, man, because look, man, given everything that's going on, COVID, you know, everything else in between, there's a lot of people feeling down and discouraged, man. Give us some words of encouragement to take us out for today, if you don't
1: mind. Sure, Will. I think that, first of all, um, we have to work on ourselves and work on our own mindsets. And I, I talk about in the book, Leading With Love. And when I, when I, when we talk about leading with love, you have to lead yourself with love first. You have to give yourself what you need. So make sure you're giving yourself what you need every day. Uh, startup nation, make sure that you are, um, you are getting the right nutrition, keeping yourself healthy as possible. Make sure you have, uh, you're, you're, you're feeding your interests. So the things that spark your curiosity and, you're reading and consuming content that's positive and uh, empowering, and things that build you up. Make sure you stay connected with your people, your teams, your friends, your family. That always builds you up. It keeps you in a positive space, and and take care of your finances as well. The financial love is very important, and make sure that you are. Uh, you are, even if you are in, in in tough circumstances today, that you, you have the ability to make sure you're, you're taking care of the basics and, and ensuring you have the ability to move forward and, and remain positive throughout that. Don't let that, that drag you down. So I think that, that loving yourself is the beginning of, of being able to love others and lead others. And, and so I think that that's my main takeaway for following you listening on celebration today.
0: I hear that. Awesome stuff. And that's going to wrap up this session of the Startup Life. Once again, we want to thank Omar Harris, author of The Servant Leaders uh, Manifesto, for coming on the show. Oh, I appreciate you, man.
1: Thanks, Dominic. Appreciate
0: you, too. No worries. worries. Uh, And always, Startup Nation, if you have an idea, be about that life, the Startup Life. If you want to let us know what you think about our show, have an idea for a show topic, or would like to advertise on our show, send us a message on the Startup Life podcast Facebook page. And while you are there, like and follow our page as well. It's a great way for us to engage with you, automation and really grow our community. The link is there in the show notes. Subscribe to the show as it can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Google Play,